Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses today, or page 954 if you're using one of our Bibles. Tomorrow evening, I am flying to Phoenix to see a new granddaughter. Uh, Priscilla is there already. Over the next 18 years, this little girl will be developing her identity. Much of her identity, vast majority of her identity, will be shaped by the family in which she grows up. She will develop uh, values, what's right, what's wrong. She'll figure out what's most important, what's less important. She will develop her sense of love and acceptance. She might even create an identity with a, a favorite team that she cheers for. Or maybe she won't care, because the females in my family tree very seldom do. Anyhow, our identity is shaped by our family, and the same thing is true spiritually. If you have placed your faith in Christ as Savior, as Lexi and Claire have expressed, if you've done that, you are part of a family. You are born again, Jesus said, so you've been born into this family, and it is an incredible Family. We've been looking at the first two chapters of Colossians where we have come to understand the supremacy of Christ, the one who created all things, he sustains all things, he's the head of the church, he's in charge of everything, he has infinite power, he forgave your sins, and he is the head of the church and you belong to him. And so your identity is now shaped by belonging to Christ. That's what Paul is saying as we look at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. You have this new identity. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You've died with him, you've been raised in him, we've seen that picture through water baptism. You are so fully identified with him, everything is so new, it's every bit as radical as a baby who leaves the womb and now is breathing air with the rest of us. And a new identity is formed, but here's the difference. A baby starts out life with a clean slate from which to develop an identity. You and I who come to faith in Christ and join the family of God are carrying the baggage of our old earthly identity. And so that is the challenge of the Christian life. That is what Paul is addressing here, that we would set our minds on things above and not on things on the earth. 
Why? Because we are alive with Christ. The verse begins with, since you have been raised. So this is like a pivot point of the entire book of Colossians. There's four chapters, and this is appropriately in the middle, because he's developed the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ. And now since that is true and you're part of him, then these are the things that will be transformed in your mind, in your life, I should say, but only as they're first transformed in your mind. You need to align your life now with your new Identity. That's what really the second half of the book is all about. Often we think of our salvation, we think, oh good, I have a ticket to heaven. And that's true. It's completely paid for by the cross. You put your faith in Christ. You can know for sure from the moment you put your faith in Christ, you will be in heaven one moment after you die. But he gave us so much more because it says we were raised with him. So we have a new life. We are spiritually alive during this intervening time between when we put our faith in him and when we finally die or are raptured. We we already have this life. That's our new identity. We will never understand our identity unless we understand how God sees us differently now. God looks out upon a whole world that he loved, and he he sent his son to die for the sins of the whole world. He loves the whole world, but he has a unique attention upon those of us who have put our faith in him. Those who have refused to believe do not understand this new family identity that you and I know and are a part of. We're family. It's like if you go to a... uh, a, a, a high school band concert or choir concert. You go to a middle school basketball game. You go as a parent or grandparent. You have your eye on one person. You go to this whole big event, and it's all about the the girl on the third set of third, third row of the risers, second from the end, right? It is all about her, or it's the it's the guy who's who's either on the bench or starting. Doesn't matter because he's your kid. And so God sees us differently. And the question is, do we see him differently? Because if we see him differently and we see ourselves in this relationship, in this new identity, we will also begin to view life differently and live life differently. So, since you've been raised with him, set your hearts on things above. The word is actually a simple word in the Greek language, seek the things above. It simply means Since you've been raised with him, this is who you are. Pursue these things. Prioritize eternal things. It is drawing our attention to things above. It's a very uh, intentional metaphor to think vertically. Think about the things you can't see that are every bit as real as the things you can see. But you have to set your mind. You have to, first of all, uh, pursue them. This This is going to be your goal. Your goal is going to be now to please the one in whom you find your new relationship, your new identity. Because just as, as, as God might look at us like we look at that child, you know, sitting on the bench as our child, likewise, we need to look at him as the singular part of the audience. Because no matter how many people are listening to the choir, or how many people are at the basketball game, the child is most interested in the reality of going home and in the car, mom or dad says, I am really proud of you. Whether you were invisible, you did the props at the play, you sat on the bench, 
I am proud of you. And when we discover our new identity and begin to embrace that, we begin to live for an audience of one. To please him. And that's where Paul had started this letter back in chapter 1, verse 10. I keep thinking back to that. Live worthy of the Lord that you may please him in every way. That becomes our goal when we set our mind on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So it's like Paul can't get over the message of the first two chapters that he wrote. This one whom we set our eyes on is the one who is seated at the right hand of God. That's, that's actually language that goes back to the Old Testament, a prophecy of the Messiah that already a thousand years before Christ came was clearly foretold to be the one who would have full authority. Uh, the Lord says to my Lord, and if you ever have heard that phrase or that verse repeated, you have to understand it's God the Father, Jehovah, speaking to the Lord, it's a different word for God, Adonai, it has a reference to Jesus when he comes. So this prophetically, the Lord, the Father, says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord, the Father, sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. So we should have, the Jews should have had a picture from, from way back then that the Messiah is coming and he's going to be an absolute authority. And he already has that absolute authority. He is the supreme one. And so we hear that he has the name which is above every name, Philippians 2. Having died, rose, ascended to heaven, he is seated in the heavenlies. He already has this authority. And so we need to think of him as he really is in full authority. He has that position. That changes everything for us because who he is determines who we are. If you grew up in a nation with kings and you were the king's son, you're this prince, you are not like the other guys. You might, you might go and do a lot of the things the other guys do, but you are heir to the throne. And that absolutely changes everything. You're a child of the king, and so you need to adopt kingly priorities. Likewise, we are children of the king uh, Revelation 20 says how we're going to reign with Christ. Just try to fathom that. Somehow we're going to be reigning with Christ. We're a child of God. And so our priorities must be different. So since you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated. So we're, we're, we're the one, we're pursuing that which is important to the one who is most important. And so it changes everything. And if, if you haven't thought this, if you haven't been thinking this week about being a, a child of, of God himself, you haven't been thinking about being part of Christ and united with Christ, if you, that's probably pretty normal, but that's why we have this passage, because we need to completely recalibrate to understand who we really are because of understanding who he really is. And our priorities have to be different. So seek things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and then set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It sounds like he's repeating himself, but it's actually a little bit different phrase. Verse 1 says, seek things that are above. It's really telling us what to focus on. Seek, prioritize, pursue things above, eternal things. 
The second phrase says, set your mind on things above. This is telling us how. What? Prioritize what's important to him. How do you do that? Well, it starts here. Set your mind on those same things. Set your mind. Everything, everything, everything that ever changes has to first of all change in our mind. It has to become a priority. If you have a skill, if you uh, desire to be excellent in something, you set your mind on that thing. We've just been blessed by having musicians up here. Every one of these musicians, to be able to play the instrument, it didn't just happen. They woke up and go, huh, I guess I, I'm a guitarist. They put their mind to it and they began to make sacrifices. They, they decided, I want to be good at playing the keyboard. And then they sacrificed other things to be able to develop that skill. So if we may say, hey, I know I need to have earth, eternal priorities. Great. How do you do that? Set your mind on it, which means you will sacrifice other things to be able to prioritize that which is important. Setting our mind. So we begin to think in terms of what will matter when I am with Christ. Christ is seated in the heavenlies, the right hand of the Father. That's where I'm going to be because I'm a believer in Christ. So what will matter there? What will matter then? What will matter, what matters now to Him, to Christ? And really, chapters 3 and 4 are then uh, going from subject to subject saying, this, if you, if you take on this new set of priorities, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect how you deal with sin, verse 5. Put to death what belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. It'll affect your relationships, verse 13. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have. It'll affect your, your, your church life in worship. You're going to be singing to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, verse 16. It'll affect your marriage, wives, husbands, parenting. It says children obey, parent, uh, fathers don't be harsh. It'll affect your work. Do you see how this? To have a perspective of heaven does not mean like we're just kind of going to live on a mountainside and wait for Jesus to come back. It, it, it's going to permeate everything we do here that we do see will be affected by the priorities that we, of God who we don't see. And, and we just live differently. We can sometimes maybe read something like this, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, and think, well, he's just talking about, you know, uh, sins in my life or something. It is far deeper than that because our earthly identity is not just about how we sin, but it's first about how we think. It's not just how sinners sin, but how sinners think. And we are sinful by nature. And so we will naturally have earthly priorities because we are seeking an earthly identity. It's the same issue. So I'm going to just give you some samples of what that might look like. What is an old identity? I'm going to have 11 things, and later on we'll have 11 other things about a a, a heavenly or, or things above. You don't need to write them down. There's some copies at the back table, and we can make more if you're interested. But here's one. I need to be beautiful to have value. How long does it take a a young child in grade school to figure that out. I need good grades to be approved. 
earthly identity. I need money and nice things to be happy. You're saying, wait a minute, this this, this is just normal life. Exactly. We naturally think about us and how other people perceive us. That's That's what an earthly identity is. I'm happy only if I'm having fun. This is why so often uh, uh, we can de- derive our identity by our hobby. This is what I do for enjoyment, or, or everything's about the weekend and the vacation. Health and other circumstances are the key to my happinesses. happiness. Yeah, it is. It is really nice to be healthy and have better circumstances. But that will never consistently work, and so often it becomes this. What happened? How do I deal with my unhappiness? So my addiction, sin, or obsession is how I'm coping with my unhappiness, because number five never really completely works out. And so I've got to somehow soothe and, and cope and, 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 and satisfy myself with something else. My worth is based on applause and popularity. I begin, I become hypersensitive to what people think of me, and it's guiding everything I do. My worth comes from the perceived importance of my job. So whether it's how I perceive it or how I perceive that others perceive it, just becomes all-consuming with what we do all day at work. My worth depends on my children's success. That sometimes grows out of number eight because we never quite achieve as far as we want to in our own career. So, well, maybe at least my child will make me look good. So you find you know, parents going nuts at Little League games because they think it matters. My worth is based on comparison with peers. So, no, I can't be the top of everybody, but at least, at least I'm better than him. My failures... And regrets define me. This is more the person who's a little bit more on the, on, you know, like, oh, I'm just down on myself. Or, or my success or goodness defines me. I, I'm making it. Do, but do you see they're the same thing? It's all self-focused and how others perceive me. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the normal way we think is exactly the problem. We will recognize ourselves in these things. The reason you and I struggle if we're believers in Christ is because we are fully in this world and understand earthly priorities. But we also have this glimmer of understanding that we're supposed to be living for eternal things. It really is a tension. I think it's an unavoidable attention. I think we need to embrace the conflict we feel between things above and things on earth. It will always be there till the day we die. And so embrace it and realize this is like a a, a spiritual adolescence that I am in where I must consistently put away childish things and understand that an earthly identity is going to fail me. And, I, and, and I, I embrace the fact that I feel the tug of the Holy Spirit towards those things that will matter forever. We need to understand that we will never find satisfaction in an earthly identity because we will never achieve anything on that list fully. We will never be as rich as we want to be or as popular as we hoped we'd be. Vacation will not be as fun as we thought it would be. We are no longer, either Either we will never be as beautiful as we want or we no longer were as beautiful as we were. 
every single thing on that list eventually fails us. And we're like a, a hamster on that spinning wheel, just going like crazy nowhere. Because you can't achieve and accomplish an earthly identity to your satisfaction. But let's just say you're better at it than most. And that, uh, you know, a lot of things have really worked out well for you. Is it possible then to have best of both worlds? You know, you're a believer and you got all this and you got all this. Just keep projecting down this, the chronology of your life from wherever you're at. So you retire comfortably, it's whatever, and it's 70, and then you're 80, and then you're in it's really good health, but there is an ending point. If nothing else, somewhere around triple digits. So there's going to be a season of your life in which probably nobody remembers just how good you were at what you did. You might not be as popular as you were. You might not be as beautiful as you were. And so every one of those things, no matter how long you can push this thing down the road, is going to end up in disappointment as you feel declining health and eventually die. So you've invested your entire life in an identity that you know for sure will fail you. Or you can set your mind on things above and embrace the tension and say, no, I'm living for eternal things. And you begin to see life through entirely different eyes. And though you will never fully uh, be the person you want to be even spiritually, you are embracing one by one by one those things that will matter when you get to heaven. And then when you get to heaven, you now experience the full... You don't, you don't experience a radical change. You just see the fulfillment of that which you have been pursuing all along. And there is peace and satisfaction on the journey here. Ultimate fulfillment when we get there. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. What died? You died to this obligation. We've referred before in, in, in chapter 2, 11 and 12. You've died to the power of sin. You realize you don't you aren't powerless anymore because you have the Holy Spirit, you have this new identity. But it's not just that. You've died to your earthly identity. And so you may need to remind yourself six times a day that the the things on that first list are not your identity now. But you remind yourself that those I'm, I'm dead to those things. They no longer have control over me. Instead, I'm a new person, a new identity spiritually. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because your life is now merged, the term is in Christ. You're merged with Christ. And so you see yourself in a different way. You have died, verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a wonderful verse in, in a number of ways, but... One reason is that it assumes, if not directly teaches, that our salvation is secure. If you've believed in Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. You have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now wrapped up, as it were, in a double security blanket with Christ in God. I think it's a beautiful picture that when you put your faith in Christ, what has changed 
is your identity, your status. You don't reverse birth. No matter what you do, you can't change how you were born and who you were born to. It is a permanent status, and you're hidden with Christ in God. So picture, you know, you're in the arms of Christ, in the hand of God, and he is keeping you. So you are secure. I talk to Christians all the time who fear that they have lost their salvation, or maybe I wasn't really saved. And the reason for that fear and doubt, if they've genuinely put their faith in Christ, they understand the cross, is that they are looking at themselves and their failure to be perfect, to measure up. And so with ongoing sin and temptation and with um, guilt of the past, they assume we don't measure up. But what is really happening is, I believe that they are thinking about an earthly identity and trying to apply spiritual truth to an earthly identity. I just don't measure up. I just don't measure up. No, we don't. That's what grace is about. And the only way we're ever going to counter that false theology is to let our mind be fully immersed in the biblical truth of grace where God says, I know, but you're my child and I put, you put your faith in me and, and so it's covered. And so I'll still be looking at the child in the third row of the risers, second to the end, and I own that child. That's mine. That's how God sees us. And so we need to correct our lenses to see him through the eyes of security. When I was in, in Bible college, before uh, I was even married, so I was, I'm an older teenager. I went off to Bible college to study the Bible. And, and uh, my grandma was about in 70, upper seven, mid to upper 70s. And my, my uh, mom was telling me that her mom was uh, struggling with fears and doubts about her salvation. Uh, she had been uh, raised in a church that taught the gospel, but then taught that you could lose your salvation. And so in her older years, her emotions went back to that uh, threatening theology, kind of like if you don't live up to it, you're probably not saved. And her mind was going back to there. So mom says, you know, you're going to Bible college, you talk to grandma. <laughs> so I came home for Thanksgiving or whatever it was, and okay, okay. And, uh, you know, Sydney, I just don't know if I'm really saved. And I don't know what verse I shared with her or what I exactly said, but this would have been a good one. Grandma, your faith is in Christ, and your life is now different. You've, you're hidden with Christ in God. You have a whole new status as a child of God, and it cannot be changed. So the security of our salvation is, is, is assumed here, but it's even more than that. It's not just that our destination is secure, but that our life from here to there is transformed. Our identity in earthly things is gone, invalid. Don't live according to a, a, an expired set of values. So what does it mean to set your mind on things above? We saw some of those things that characterized things on the earth. This was that list, so yeah, okay, beautiful, grades, money, health, applause, importance, children, comparisons. What does it mean to have your mind set on things above? Just a sampling. Some, all of them are scriptural. Uh, uh, many of them come out of the second half of the book of Colossians, but here's one. I'm ready forgiven as I address areas of sin. So sin doesn't have to make me doubt my salvation if I put my faith in Christ, but now I'm coming from a position of, of understanding of my status is secure, and so now, yeah, I've got to address these things, and I might need some accountability, and I need to, yeah, so 
I'm already forgiven. That's not the issue. God already approves of me just as he made me. So I don't have to try to find worth in this and this and this that everybody else does. I will find worth in the fact that God has made me just the way I am. My body is a temple where the spirit dwells. So that is, that is a radically different way to view our body because we think of our body as we have to be athletic or attractiveness or whatever else. But no, we're actually a dwelling place of God. It doesn't get any better than that. How can I glorify him in my body? It affects how we think of church life where this becomes a priority because he has become a priority. And this is a place where we are called together to, to worship him. And so that becomes something that I, I want to do, or I think someone in the testimony said, get to do, right? It also affects our relationships if I know I'm forgiven because now I can give that which I have received. I, I, I feel badly for the unsaved world trying to forgive and, and so it, 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 it's, it's like pretend. What, on what basis can you forgive? Only those who are forgiven can forgive. And we understand because of the cross, we understand forgiveness. And so we can forgive others. Changes our family life because, um, because your family is only sinners. It's going to have to be unconditional love if it's going to be love because everybody's failing everybody. It's just, that's just who we are. But when we understand in this family that God has unconditionally loved us, now we can unconditionally love others. And that will affect our marriages and parenting that we'll see later in chapter 3. I'll see my job as a place I serve the Lord as I serve my company. So many times this is where we do God and then, then we do earthly priorities out there. No, we are different. And so why wouldn't our, our, our identity affect that which we do you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week? Of course it does. And so he says, do your work hardly as unto the Lord and not for men. That is a life-changing perspective. Because now it doesn't matter if you have a good boss or a bad boss. That's not who you're working for. That's secondary. We begin to notice different things when we have our mind set on things above. We begin to... Do you realize all these things have been vertical, whereas the first list was all about me and how people perceive me. Everything here is vertical, things above. So I begin to notice something different about my trials. I see how God has upheld me, how he's sustained me. And because I'm now in a relationship with other believers who have the same sense of identity, now I hear their stories and go, man, God has brought them through that. And I see some, some growing peace in their life in spite and that circumstance. Just, I, I don't know how I'd handle that, but we begin to see this commonality between us, between of how God is sustaining us. We're going to notice God is at work in people's lives, and he's growing disciples. Jesus said to go and make disciples. And all of a sudden, now because our eyes are fixed on, on what God is doing, we notice, wow, I see, that person is growing. I, I knew them three years ago. This isn't the same person. We begin to notice how he is at work in marriages. Anybody can notice how marriages are crashing, but we will notice marriages that are growing because there's something different going on. We see forgiveness and we see people who are working together. We see people who are, 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 are serving alongside each other, maybe in the, in the cause of Christ and how it's drawing them. We just see different things. Everybody knows that addictions are horrible and people are dying. But we will, as part of the body of Christ, start to see, and this, this is the joy of being where, where I get to sit sometimes to hear who's getting victory over some addictions. And see progress because we're seeing God at work. And then we begin to ask ourselves, now what about me? 
I can be a part of this, and we see opportunities to serve or to encourage or places we can share our faith, and now suddenly we begin to act on those things and go, that person really needs encouragement. I kind of know what I could, I, I would like to, I need to listen to that person. And you set up something, you get together with them, or you meet them in a class or after a class. And as you begin to get involved, the thing that often takes over is that we apply an earthly uh, uh, mindset to eternal things, and we start thinking of our ministry in comparison to others. Well, you know, they, they play the piano better than I do, or they teach Sunday school class better than I do. And No, we're all created and gifted, and God has a, whether we're, we're putting away chairs or whether we're preaching a sermon or whatever we're doing, it doesn't make any difference because we are all serving the one who, and the only one who is supreme. And so we just get a whole different mindset and it affects every piece of our life because we have died, our old identity is dead and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our life is transformed by that. I, I hope that as we read a passage like this, that you begin to get a glimmer of hope of what your life could be that is different than it is today. Because eventually as you embrace your identity, it begins to affect your emotions. You can't just flip a switch and change your emotions, but your emotions will follow your understanding of who you are and who Christ is. Your choices will begin to be different. It eventually trickles down to your children. Your family will notice you're different. Your family will notice if you have eternal priorities or are thinking of things above. So how do these things happen? Is there like a magic pill where we can get this, get this thing going? Look at verse 16 in chapter 3. We'll be there a few weeks from now, but this is how it happens. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The only place you can get this perspective of life is here. Because all day long, the rest of today, whatever media you're a part of, whatever you see, is going to be about you know Facebook comparisons, all we all talk about and we all don't like it. And, 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 and what you're getting an, an earthly perspective 24-7, except when you're immersed in the Word of God. So let the Word of Christ permeate, soak, saturate your life and find ways to do that. I've been so encouraged just the last couple of weeks. I've heard of several people in the church family here who have started a 30-day Bible challenge with others. I don't know where the idea originated. I think it's great. But contacting people, hey, would you like to be a part of a 30-day Bible challenge? Well, what's that? It's not like the ice bucket challenge. It's a little different. It's, but what you do is every day, if I'm understanding it right, every day, for 30 days, you commit yourself to being in the Word of God. And then you have some kind of accountability where you're sharing that, what you read and, and what you learned. Simple concept. What does that do? It, it's not a rule and you get a star at the end. It begin, that's a way that, one way in which you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is that you begin to develop a pattern of absorbing the Word of God personally. And you begin to think about things above. And, and all this, this, this perspective begins to change because you're thinking vertically. This is not written to a class of spiritual elites. I don't know much about the Colossian church, really. Uh, we aren't even told. Paul said he didn't even go there. But I'm imagining a pretty small church. I don't know. They had a paid pastor. They met in the home of Philemon. 
probably his wife, and then his son is probably Archippus, mentioned later on. So I'm picturing a small group of believers gathering in this city in the first century, and they're struggling with the same things you and I are, like we walked through and, you know, putting to death their the sexual immorality and the greed and, and lying to one another and they need to, verse 13, bear with one another and forgive each other and their families and their church life. It sounds very current, doesn't it? They're going through the same things. And the only thing that would transform those things is if they would set their mind on things above and realize that their old identity and all the ways they've done life to this point has died. It's, it's worthless. It's, a, it's an endless spinning wheel unless you embrace and begin to pursue things above. Verse 4, Paul reminds us that there's an urgency, but there's an excitement about the future when we live this way. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that's when he comes back, then you will also appear with him in glory. So there's a point at which your identity will be completely fulfilled filled as you are with Christ. When Christ who is your life, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Christ is my life, Paul would say. Do you ever tell your wife or husband something like that? Honey, you're my life. Probably, the reason that probably crossed my mind is because of uh, the old 70s song by Chicago. You are my love and my life. You are my If you're 60 years old, you'll be humming that the rest of the day. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) You're saying, honey, you are, I can't imagine life without you. Because there's, our lives become so intertwined that we interact, we talk, we text, we, you're just a part of me. And we need to picture our life so connected to Christ that our choices, that we can't think of doing life without Him. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Was he only talking about eternal life? Like we'll be there in heaven? Or is he saying, I'll be your life? Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So he he can't think of his life apart from that relationship. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. These might be familiar verses if you've been a church person, but... To live is Christ, so that there is such a connection between me and Christ that thinking about death is different because then I get to be with him. So that's the best of all. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. And we won't preach about this in heaven. So, so, so enjoy these verses now because you won't need them in heaven. Because when, when, when he appears and we're with him, it's like, duh. He is my life. We found out ahead of time. And so we can still alter our life between today and that day and begin living for eternal priorities. But soon, and very soon, we will actually be with him. And whether it's in death, because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
or whether it's when he returns that when he comes, we will rise up to meet him in the air and thus we will ever be with the Lord, Paul told the Thessalonians. So one way or another, we're going to be joined with him. But don't wait till then to discover and embrace your identity. John was writing about this. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Our status, our our identity, it's already, I'm God's child. And what we will be has not yet been made known or made manifest. So we we know, I don't think he really means known, it's it's, it's a manifest. Then we will see it. But we, will, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All this stuff now that we, is, is conceptual and maybe a little bit vague, you know, what does it mean, our identity in Christ? And I, I get it. That, we, that's not concrete. We're thinking about what's for lunch. We're thinking about something we've got to do at work next week. And we're going to keep, a, we're going to always feel this tug of war between the earthly and the things above. But suddenly, in an instant, when Christ returns or we die to go be with Christ, we will see him as he is, and this stuff will all make complete sense. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so it will take deliberate, intentional discipline. It'll take continual immersion in the Word of God, not because it's a rule and I feel more spiritual if I read my Bible and I can tell them that I made the 30-day challenge, but rather because I want to be immersed in an understanding of that which has eternal value. Four final questions. The issue of approval. Am I living for approval according to an earthly identity or resting in my approval by Christ? What are you going for? Just think. Similar to that, then, that's what you're trying to achieve. Would those who know me best say I strive mostly to achieve what has earthly value or eternal? Because we do notice that about one another. Yeah, I know what, they're really, what they really want. I can tell what they really want in life is. The people who know you best can probably fill in the blank. We keep going to our jobs. We keep pursuing excellence in everything we do. We, we, we know from chapters 3 and 4, it's not like you disengage from this world, but rather, what is important to this person? What are we trying to achieve? Anxiety. Anxiety is actually a very important thing because it alerts me to the importance of things above. When I'm worried, do I alter my thinking to focus on what God might be doing or teaching me? So a little light goes on on your dash of your car, and you know, i got to pay attention. What's going, what is that? So when we feel those anxieties, to set our mind on things above is to say, hmm, I wonder what God is doing or teaching. And we, we just begin to explore. It doesn't take the thing away. But it, it changes the way we even see our anxieties. And then perhaps there's going to be an action step where there's something that, that we need to do that God is guiding. What might God be asking me to begin doing now that will matter, matter forever? So that there would be something clearly that God kind of says, you know what, you haven't been able to forgive this person. But now you realize in your status with God you are completely forgiven so you can actually have this conversation you, you haven't uh, 
stepped into any kind of a ministry because you're afraid of what people think and you just found out it doesn't matter what people think. And so it's okay if you go and get started and you make some mistakes and you learn. You see, no longer is it a barrier that keeps us from these things because it's been me and what people think of me that's been keeping me from obeying God many times. And so now we can just step past that barrier and realize it's okay. I'm not being compared. I'm God's child and he's asking me to do that. So we want to rest in our new identity. How does God want you to align your life now with who you really are? Let's pray. Father, we... uh, Thank you that we can see things that the world can't because you have given us a, a vision, a, a, a revelation of that which is true and real but unseen. I pray for any here who have perhaps not experienced life uh, spiritually that they would understand the full sufficiency of the cross and put their faith in your death and resurrection for them, paying for their sin, that they might be, uh, they might die with you and rise with you to this new spiritual life. And then for each of us who have done that, I pray that we would embrace and pursue living according to that new uh, identity we have with you. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.